Welcome to Film Shapes, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the third episode of You Mean You Haven't Seen. This week, it's the 1967 John Borman film Point Blank, starring Lee Marvin and Angie Dickinson. But first, it's hello again to Rolly. Hello. And hello to Ben. Hello. How's it all going, guys? Everyone good? Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. Oh, well. Um, now, Rolly, you hadn't seen this before, right? I hadn't seen it. Um, I'd heard the name, uh, but as we were discussing a little while ago, that could have been the name of any number of films okay. in the past, yeah. <laughs> past 60 years. Yeah. Um, so wasn't on my radar at all, this film. Okay. What um, what did you think about it first up then? Yeah, I I enjoyed this film. I some of the cinematography in this film is what really struck me mm. more than anything. It was there was such a, an attention to detail with it. I really thought it was almost perfect. And I say oh, that because oh. there's one notable exception which maybe I won't talk about now, but on on that level I, as it, when it, when the film started, I was quite confused because it kind of starts in a confusing way. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a film quite like this film. Ooh. I'm not sure what to compare it to, but it, you know, it's it's a kind of a tough guy film, isn't it? It's a yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a revenge film, but it's yeah, it's a lot of things. For for I people like who, who who don't know about it, it is it's kind of a revenge thriller, almost a neo noir kind of gangster drama. But it's really sort of dressed up in art house clothes a little bit, isn't it? Well, maybe that's coming from the cinematography angle, yeah, um, yeah possibly. And definitely the art design in it is another, you know, needs mm. to be mentioned. I mean, it just looks brilliant. There's not a, sh a shaky. You know how in some of these films from even in the seventies there'll be a zoom, but there'll be a little, a little mm. click, a little glitch in the zoom halfway through, and they just keep it in there. They don't, they're not, they don't seem to be too worried about things yeah. like that. Smooth pans and and things like that. Whereas this film is just, it's just there's just such attention to detail. I'm not sure. Um, mm. Yeah, I was quite surprised at that being this film being 1967. So yeah, yeah. No, good. Well, let's let's bring Ben in. What do you reckon, Ben? You, you hadn't seen it before? No, I had, had not seen it, and I wasn't really aware of it at all. Um, you know, I, I, I you know, obviously know who Lee Marvin is, I know who John Borman is, but mostly I know John Borman is the director of Zardos and The Exorcist 2, <laughs> uh, um, and was not expecting this film going into it. I absolutely loved this movie. Um, yeah, I was really blown away by it, and, you know... I, as you say, it's it's this like revenge thriller, but in the in the in the attire of sort of an art house movie, and in that way, it kind of reminded me a lot of other um, you know films like The French Connection or even sort of modern like Drive, those those films that are melding um, you know yeah like a, an action thriller with like real uh, sort of you know artsy fartsy <laughs> um, you know editing and, and things like that. And and yeah, I think really stands as a as a direct antecedent to those more modern kind of film noirs. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm amazed that I just totally missed this film until now. Oh, I, I was really blown away by it. 
Well, you guys have made me feel very happy today. This is probably the first oh, success <laughs> for recommending it. Now, this was a, a an afterthought. I mean, I I'd seen it a while ago, but I kind of I forgot about it. And when we were setting up this idea for for these episodes, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll do a quick sort of Google search on films that are big in the sixties, seventies, etc. And this popped up again. I thought, oh yeah, that's a that's pretty good. I remember that being pretty pretty nice looking film. Let's let's pop that yeah. one in. And yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't really one of the ones that I'd first thought up. It was kind of an afterthought, actually, but I'm mm, glad you yeah. guys liked it. Yeah. yeah, because you did downplay it a little bit um, leading up to this. Maybe you were afraid that we weren't going to like it and say, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, what you did last week where it was like, why did you get us to watch this? What was the point? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no. but you could, like, I'm, I'm glad Ben sort of picked up the, um, like, the things like Drive. Yeah, I didn't even think mm. of that, but, yeah, there's... Mm. Sort of mixing a little bit of you know violence and typical gangsterism kind of stuff with a touch of flair and a bit of alternative stuff. Some things I just want to mention in this, like there's a bit of fractured cutting, um, especially at the start of the film. Mm. Uh, some of the the line the line deliveries are really weird. Did you notice when when his wife is mm. talking to him on the couch? He doesn't. She's yeah. answering his questions, but he's not actually yeah. asking any questions. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting scene. That yeah, yeah. As, you, as you say, like she's acting as though he's responding, but acting wise, he is just completely blank. He's not yeah. doing or saying anything. Yeah, apparently this was Marvin's choice. Like there were lines for him, but he didn't respond to her, so she mm. just kept doing her lines. And I... the director thought, "Fuck, that's pretty." Oh, leave that. Let's have it. So I um. That was probably the one scene. That's where they're on the couch, right? And where yeah. he yeah. come back mm -hmm. quite violently. Um, yeah, I was a little less convinced by that scene. Uh, it's interesting to hear your guys' take on it because, yeah, I was actually starting. I was beginning at at that point to question her performance a little bit and say, mm, it's not not quite as convincing. But now, saying what you what you said, I think it makes sense that the you know this was an actor who's whose leading man had just decided to not respond to her lines. Yes. And she was kind of, I felt she was struggling through that scene a bit, to be That's honest. That's probably but, why. Yeah. Yeah. And now it but, makes you sense. Know, it, it's that oh. kind of thing where, you know, it's this, giving, she's giving this flat affect performance because she's clearly not getting anything from her scene partner, but that adds to this otherworldly sense of like, you know, is, is this real? Like, is he dead? Is this mm. a, like, I've got a, yeah, a I've got a, he's having like, yeah, I, I, this this is the part that actually, you know, forgive me for being a bit of a dunce, but that scene from the bit when he walks into the house to when he finally leaves, mm. what the hell is going on there? Because, it, it, okay, specifically, all the furniture's removed. Someone help me. Is is that a different sec? I my, the way my mind dealt with that was, oh, it's a different section of the house. No, it's in. the same room, man. It's the same, the same uh, sit, sitting room. Yeah. Well, I was confused as well. So. Okay, Ben. Um, yeah, I just interpreted it, particularly at that stage in the film, as like this isn't meant to be realistic. This is meant to be a somewhat abstracted representation of him, like crossing over into another world or something like that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of took the the weird elements of that scene at face value and was like, this isn't meant to necessarily be representing something real it's more meant to be explicating him yet yeah, being on some kind of transcendental journey into another yeah. place of being i suppose 
Mm, I did. Yeah. I did um, mention I did watch this film at three this morning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could I mean? Could it even have been forward? Like flash forward. He he's gone back there after after she had had pegged it. Maybe. Ah, uh, it's it's confusing. But yeah, you're right. Maybe. I mean, there's there's a school of thought, and a, the critic um, David Thompson actually suggests that Walker's a ghost throughout the film. Well, from the from the time mm. he shot in Alcatraz. I, I, try, oh, yeah. I, I sort of scanned through back through it, and I couldn't really square that at all. What do you guys reckon? Mm. Well, certainly, like I like the idea. Yeah, and like it, it doesn't make sense if you think about all the times that he like directly interacts with people. <laughs> yes, and you know causes <laughs> cause and effect things to happen in the film. But like you know, the way he leaves Alcatraz is very strange. That he yeah. like you know just slips into the water, and then you hear this like announcer detailing like all the escape attempts from Alcatraz. And he's just magically on a boat wearing a suit afterwards. Mm. And that kind of temporal distortion and like gap in the narrative would certainly lead one to believe that, yeah, there is something, you know, not quite human about him or that he is not necessarily yeah. operating in, under the rules of, you know, how things actually operate in the real world. How yeah. many years do you think have passed since the opening scene to the scene where he comes back on the boat I, then I, I think i read that it's two years but i'm not sure where i've gotten that idea from oh mm. yeah not not that i don't know i would have said uh yeah up to a year maybe two yeah not really sure okay mm. I, I imagined it quite a bit longer but I, you, there's a few flashback scenes to where he first that was actually a weird scene as well where he first <laughs> meets the um the, the, the partner wife. and yeah. and all the other guys are standing around them on the wharf isn't that strange? Like, yeah, like they're about to break into a like a musical or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was an odd one. Um, Roll, you can help me with this. The the music, uh, especially at the beginning and all throughout, I guess, is oh. that is that piano? Is that synthesizer? What's that weird? Oh. Like it it heightens the no, kind I of. I thought I was hearing a bit of. I could be wrong, but I thought it was. Oh, because I wasn't really focused on it, but it was mm. very, um, a disjointed sort of. Yeah. score which suited the movie but i don't yeah. know i thought i was hearing an oboe at one point but yeah i'd have to what's listen it, to it again what? to answer that question i think an oboe is that like a trumpet give me a what's an no, oboe it's a again? woodwind instrument but it's quite a high sort of like a... that's a really uh, bad impression um <laughs> that's what i wanted to hear from you though i thought uh, so <laughs> yeah I, it could have been I, I just thought that kind of it was almost a little bit sort of it it set up the the, the bizarre, the surreality of it, I suppose, at the beginning. So, yeah, there's yeah, definitely yeah. a lot of dissonance in the score, which mm -hmm. um, translated to the to the film. But just to go back to the cinematography as well, I don't, mm. you know, there wasn't, there was a lot of, it was basically shots and editing, wasn't it? There, I don't yes. think there's a single crossfade in this film to represent a passing of time or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just thought it was so good, but I've I've got to bring up the elephant in the room. Okay. What's going on when that guy fell off the building? Who signed off on that shot? <laughs> oh, the floaty, floaty thing. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, it's nineteen sixty-seven. That yeah, was I the most I... ridiculous thing I've seen in a in a movie ever. I thought oh, the nineteen sixty-seven was just purely a special effects shot. Go on, Ben. What were you saying? I, yeah, I thought for 1967 it was pretty good. Like, yeah. you know, like 
short of throwing a, a dummy off of a building, which is going to look <laughs> even sillier, yes. um, it's. I think that was a that was a difficult shot to try to fake um, in in the. Well, I, yeah, but I don't. I don't think they needed to have it there as well. It was a choice to put it in there, and it was just so. So you'd have been happier. You'd have been happier with him just disappearing off the edge and then. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, It didn't. It didn't take me out of it like it seemed to to have done for you. Well, it made me laugh first of all, and but I don't think. Yeah, which is probably not. I think that's. I think that's a problem of looking at the film from a modern perspective. I think an audience looking at it from a contemporary perspective would have would not have had that problem. No, but mm. isn't it interesting though that the rest of the film still stands up? Yes, I, yeah. I don't think that's I don't think that's an issue. But yeah, it does. I think the whole thing stands up, and that's probably why it's it's been a bit of a a touchstone for like Mel Gibson's remake, for example, in '99. Um, other films called Point Blank, which probably aren't to do with it, but they've taken the the title. I mean, there are. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a, an influence on a lot of modern films. I think what's his name, um, Sp- uh, Soderbergh, is on the um, uh, DVD extras saying how much it influenced his filmmaking as well. So, yeah. I think it, it would be good for us uh, three three men to discuss um, any uh, or the portrayal of women in this film as well. What would it? <laughs> it's an interesting uh, film to look at uh, from. From that perspective, um, mm. and definitely the first half, it, the the role of women seemed to be, you know, more or less to scream and then pass out, and maybe yeah. overdose. Oh well, um, it's, and, it's yeah, it's it's that era, I suppose, isn't it? But um, it is. But they, but then a relatively strong character came in. Was it uh, Chris or Christine? Or yeah, Chris? Angie yeah. Dickinson. Yeah, she was. She was interesting. Um, yeah, what did you think of her her role in the film? Ben, um, I thought it was very, uh, it was a very strong performance from Angie Dickinson. Um, I her motivations, I think, were kept somewhat opaque, and like particularly, like in the scene towards the end where they go to uh, Brewster's house, I believe, and she sort of mm. starts attacking Lee Marvin, and he's quite, you know, relatively implacable, and then like. She turns on all the devices oh, yeah. in the house and stuff, and they have that sex scene, which in the like in that nineteen sixties kind of way, it sort of begins with like an overtone of like, oh, is this a kind of a sexual assaulty kind of thing where he like holds her down on the ground, right. um, which is which like that was I think a, a bit in the film that gave me a bit of pause, just because it's like, mm. oh, it's the sixties, and uh, this apparently was totally fine and a normal yeah. way for sex to be initiated. Um, and from a modern perspective, obviously, it uh, seems uh, a little untoward. Although, I mean, maybe that was the effect it was meant to have then as well, because you know this is a crime film about people who are murderers. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we're not meant to not necessarily look at them as being morally virtuous, but mm. that still left me with a little bit of a Ugh, uh, taste yeah. in my mouth. But I think I, I got the feeling that the the film wasn't actually um, ignoring that power structure. Mm. Mm. Uh, going on, it, it did actually face it head on. I mean, uh, you know, who was it? Big John, the, the car dealer. Mm. You know, yeah. with the fe- you know, he was <laughs> the way he was portrayed with the female customer. And yeah, I think the whole kind of did And and yeah, that great scene you mentioned, Ben, where she's trying to 
well, she slaps Lee, Lee Marvin first, and but he just stands there like a, a solid rock of a man. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and she just takes to banging his chest. But well, that was quite an extended scene for, uh, you know, I couldn't help but imagine myself in that situation. I, I was going, why doesn't she just slap him? Mm. But I think, yeah, I think it would have been quite hard to, um, yeah, at what point would have, um, would have Lee said cut? Yeah, did you did you expect him to sort of respond a little bit of No, I, I think he just dug his heels in there. Yeah. yeah. And and played the rock. Mm. But because she was hitting his chest, it, there was a, <laughs> I I just wanted to see see her slap his face a bit more. Yeah, draw some blood maybe or mm. something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean she, she she's an odd one in this in this film. Obviously oh. the wife is uh expendable because of what she's done, I suppose, but yeah, her sister. That's that's Angie Dickinson. She's I don't know. It, hmm. She wants to help Lee Marvin. She wants to help Walker, but she's actually gonna like she agrees to shag this this dude to help him. I, I don't know if that's believable. Oh, well, I guess she's got her own. I just remembered though. I wanted to bring up, and also um, I think it's just after the slappy chesty scene mm. um and i think it's quite a, a clever commentary on the times i think the directors were aware of the well aware of these issues here or mm. the director was um the kitchen appliance scene yeah so, you know there was it was totally ridiculous but mm-hmm. he suddenly walks into the kitchen and she's turned on every kitchen appliance yeah. Which is making noise in the kitchen. You know, there's a blender going, the oven's on, there's the fridge is open, there's another another garbage thing going off. It's that that's the only yeah. way that this woman um can try and uh compete with the man is in the kitchen. Mm. Which, uh, oh, I see. Like that's a comment, I think. Well I've another I've another take on this. Um this scene in this film turned the Cold War in America's favour. <laughs> that scene did. That scene. Yeah, no, I'm drawing a long bow, but apparently the, re- the director actually said that it did it did quite well in the Latin American countries because he suggests people just wanted to see the kitchen appliances. Right, that's okay. his suggestion. <laughs> okay, okay. But, but, no, 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 stay with me, stay with me. The Russians... Didn't really understand until I think this was the uh, the world world fair of uh, I don't know I'm really just um blowing wind here but mm-hmm. there was one point in the fifties or sixties where some Russian delegates went to the world fair in San Francisco or somewhere like this and saw the fridges and the the ovens and the toasters and all these things and said oh fuck we're we're beat we can't compete with this mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that was kind of when they realised, yeah, we got a lot of catching up to do over over there in Russia. So yeah, so that scene perhaps was put in as a as a kind of you know mid mid Cold War kind of hey look what we've got. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I can't help but see it more in the context of, of gender politics. Yeah. Gen- yeah. Yeah. I think I think the I argument that she's sort of weaponising the tools of domesticity. Um, I, I think that's a much more interesting reading. I think the... Thanks, Ben. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks, Ben. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's go with. Let's say both are valid. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Valid. There is no. There are no wrong interpretations. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to bring up here. Do you know the character of Brewster? Mm. Carol uh, O'Connor. Who's one of the? Yeah. Yeah. Is he's a com comedy actor or something from? Yeah. The, he played Archie Bunker. That's him. Yeah. It. It's sort of. It was my favorite line in the whole film is when he's getting out of his car. And he says to his driver, just look at that hillside. Nobody did any watering or anything. Yeah. That was a great little moment. Like, I love yeah, that. Just little so out of, detail. Like, yeah, just out of, like, characters. weird. This, Yeah, so it doesn't really sit in the film, but I, I, I like it for that, I think. It was kind of a little light entertainment, I guess. Yeah. 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 Kind of of, well, he, uh, was, uh, he was the one bad guy that you didn't mind yeah. in the end as well. Yeah. So. It kind of reminds me of things like like in Italian neorealist films, where like you know one of the differentiating aspects of those of that school of cinema is the fact that you have these focus on these little interstitial details that don't actually directly influence the plot. And it seemed to me to be kind of like borrowing from that kind of school of filmmaking. In that, yeah, it was just like that little touch of a, a, a character moment that didn't really have any larger implication to the plot of the film, but just like that's right, yeah, a bit of detail, yeah. Yeah, that's true. He's not he's not, you know, furthering the plot in any way really by saying that and mm. yeah, testing the water in his pool. Look, this is cold, you know. <laughs> just just a bit of a whinger, but it was quite funny. Yeah. Um, so we at now let's without necessarily spoiling it, we assume Walker never got his ninety three grand, right? Uh, you, mm. Yeah, no, you would no, assume I that. I, I sort of presumed at the end that um, Fairfax like told the assassin not to take the money because he, he wanted it to be resolved, and so by oh. leaving the money there, like he was leaving it up to Walker to to have what he wanted. Because like Walker says in the film, like the only motivation he has is that he, is that he wants his money, and hmm. you know I thought to did me you take that, that at face value, Ben or. Yeah, actually, I kind of did. Like, because there's there's the bit where I think it's Brewster is asking him like what he really wants, and if it's really just about ninety three thousand dollars, and he's like, yes, it is, and like mm. he, he doesn't convey any other real motive. I mean, other than just simple revenge. Like, I think he really is just a a character. Like, he's he's kind of elemental in that he's like he's got his goal, and he will do anything to achieve that goal. And I think that is kind of his sole motivation. Is that he, he's kind of like a robot in some ways. He's a little mm. like the the uh, Anton Chigurh from No Country mm. for Old Men, I suppose, yeah. in that respect. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what? And he's not afraid to punch you in the balls if you get in the way. <laughs> That's a great scene, isn't it? Here's one for your face, and here's one for your knackers. Yeah. And they made a point of uh, replaying that one again as well, a couple of times, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so I, that's funny. I I imagined that that package was the same as the package in the the drain right. when Carter got it. So like full of just paper. Uh, so yeah. that was a sort of temptation for him to come out and actually get shot and tie it all up for Fairfax. But no, you I reckon he's it came from the chopper though. Mm, well, they well, they run yeah. the they run the chopper though, don't they? So. Yeah, well, how did Fairfax know they were coming? Would Fairfax have normally been there anyway? I mean, the last time they spoke to him was on the phone and presumably uh, yeah. the other guy hadn't had a chance to call Fairfax in the meantime. 
but, but you know, he, I don't know because he he's he's orchestrating everything, isn't he? Fairfax or Yost, as he was initially mm. known, right? So, I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought when if Walker steps out there, he's going to get one, but he decides to like follow maybe Angie Dickinson's sort of she's imploring him to just just leave it, just walk away. And so maybe he's decided, hey, you know what? I've had my revenge. Maybe I can go back and hook up with Angie Dickinson again. Wouldn't be such a bad ending. I, I don't know. Mm. It's, it's, it's an interesting way to end, but I, I figured he didn't get any money. What? Um, yeah. The very, I'm, yeah, the very sure. final shot of the film, was I correct in interpreting like, it, like he's on Alcatraz and the camera seems to pan up and it shows San Francisco, and then it pans across and is showing Alcatraz. I didn't yeah. think he was on Alcatraz at that they, point. That, but they are, aren't they? Because they're going they back are, to it to do that. Yeah, they're they sort of back for it. Uh, top and tailing the film. Yeah, it did seem a bit odd. I saw there was a, yeah. there's a bit of a pan, and it looked like you can see the island again. So yeah, perhaps he's he's already off it. I mean, and he's looking back onto it. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I didn't read that much into it. But... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to me, I think it was just another element to add to that, like, otherworldly. Yeah. Aspect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, guys, so uh, this is pretty successful uh, suggestion then. I, I, I'm patting myself on the back right here. <laughs> <laughs> but so ne next yeah, week, no, who knows what's, what's the next one? It's going to be one for me or for Ben or maybe for Merv or somebody else. We'll. We'll think about that in the in the next few days, I guess. Um, I, yeah, I would just like to see a recut of this without that one two seconds that spoils it. You can probably do that yourself, Rolly. It's I might do that and post it online. <laughs> Rolly cut. Just say this, this is your cut, your super cut. Yes. Nice. nice. Um, but apart, aside from that, a near perfect film as far wow. as I'm concerned. Okay, great. Good to hear. Okay. Well, guys, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, we'll, we'll see you again next time. Thanks, Rolly. Thank you. Cheers, and thanks, Ben. Thank you. See you again, guys. Bye. See ya. Bye.